Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Good Friday is a day of pain, uh, of crucifixion, of death. And I think as you reflect upon your own life, uh, you can see and highlight areas of pain in your life. Certainly not to the point of crucifixion, but pain is pain. No matter what the source. It could be physical pain, emotional. It can be spiritually just wrestling with the realities of difficulties. Deep pain like grief. Sorrow over a wayward child or difficult parents or a difficult situation. And Good Friday would be known as God's most painful day. Where the greatest pain that our father experienced was there on the cross. We know Jesus, we have it depicted for us in many different ways of Jesus the man, God in human flesh, hanging on the cross. But of all the depictions, they still fall short of the reality. And I'm especially concerned with the depictions that make the cross a very clean, very clean pieces of wood and the body of Jesus intact. That's not an accurate depiction of Jesus because you'll remember before he was hung on the cross, he endured something known as scourging or what we would call today a beating, that he was so disfigured that unless you knew who he was, you wouldn't know. We know that Roman scourging was used, uh, what the instrument that was used by the Roman soldiers was a short whip with several single or braided leather thongs of various lengths in which iron balls and sharp pieces of sheep bone were tied at various intervals. And the man that was being scourged was stripped of his clothing and his hands were tied to an upright post. His back, his buttocks, his legs were then flogged with full force. And the purpose of the scourging, it was intended to weaken the victim to a state just short of collapse and just short of death. And as the Roman soldiers would repeatedly strike the victim's back, taking turns with full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions and the leather thongs and the sheep bones would cut into the skin, into the subcutaneous tissues. And as the flogging or the scourging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles one after another. Another man describes it as there were often two scourgers, one on either side, that took turns. Muscles were lacerated, veins and arteries were torn open. It was not uncommon for kidneys or the spleen or other organs to be exposed. And almost always, under this beating, the man would die and wouldn't need to be crucified. He would either die or he would confess to stop the beating. Even if he was 100% innocent, he would confess to stop the beating. But Jesus, the Bible says, endured to the very end. They would take and pick, pick up the cross beam of his cross and go to the place where they would then put it together. Crucifixion was brutal. It was an invention of the Persians. It was a horrible way to die. 
The Persians believed that the earth was sacred so that when they killed someone and murdered someone that he couldn't touch the ground so the criminal would be lifted up off the ground so his death wouldn't defile it. But what the Persians invented, the Romans perfected. And it was the tool that they used to not only punish non-Roman citizen criminals but to send a message. It's been said that crucifixion was the most terrible and cruel death that a man has ever devised for taking vengeance on his fellow man. Cicero called it the most cruel and most horrible torture. Historian Tacitus called it a torture that's only fit for slaves. Some estimate, we don't know the number exactly, but some estimate that the Romans literally crucified 30,000 Jews during the time of their occupation. And it sent a simple message. It sent the message that you wouldn't, it wasn't really a smart thing to do to mess with Rome. And yet God used all of this vengeance and wickedness for his own purposes. We often come to tragedy in our life and difficulty and it's very common to ask the question, why? Because the question why is developed with our sense of love and compassion. It's, it's actually a formation of our thought process that goes something along these lines. Do you know if I was God, I wouldn't have accomplished my will that way. And it often raises questions, why? And many times, we don't have the answer to the question why. It's a frustrating question to answer because many of you, as you ask the question why, the answer from heaven is silence. And we have to imagine as we're standing there watching our best friend, Jesus, be crucified, that the question why would come up. Why the cruelty? Why did the Roman authorities believe the lies? Why is God letting them get away with it? Why are the Sadducees getting away? Why are the Pharisees? Why are the scribes? Why are they getting away with it? And with our own limited perspective, as we walk through the crucifixion in time, in real time, we too kind of look up and go, why? Why? Now, crucifixion would have involved laying Jesus on his open, lacerated, bleeding back on this rough, splintery piece of wood. The Roman soldiers would have taken spikes five to seven inches long and hammered them between the two arm bones at the wrist, crushing the medial nerve there. The pain, it says, was absolutely unbearable. In fact, it was literally beyond words to describe. The pain was so bad for a person that was crucified that they had to invent a word to describe it. And we use that word today, very common. It's the word excruciating. When we speak of a pain that's beyond our ability to describe, often we'll use the word excruciating, and that word literally means from or out of the cross. It's that type of pain. And as he lay there, he would experience intense pain, excruciating pain, as he was hoisted up on the crossbar as it was attached to the vertical stake and then nails were driven through Jesus' feet and again the nerves in his feet would have been crushed 
crushed and severed nerves were certainly bad enough, but then his arms would have been immediately stretched, probably about six inches in length. And both shoulders would have been immediately dislocated, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy in Psalm 22, which foretold the crucifixion. The method of death on the cross was either by asphyxiation or by cardiac arrest. It would have ended. Many times you see the picture of, of they would put a, a little, you see sometimes a, depicted with something under the feet, but most of the time there was actually a little bar just below the buttocks where a person that's crucif- being crucified could get a little bit of rest. And as they were able to get a little bit of rest, they would begin to lose their ability to breathe, which then they'd have to stand up again on the little bar under their feet so that they could get a little bit of a breath. And it was not intended to help. You know, a lot of people would, would walk by and go, well, it's, at least they're helping them breathe. And they're, no, it would actually was more torturous because more time their natural response would be to get a breath would prolong the time that they would hang excruciatingly painful on the cross. That's Jesus there, not just a criminal. He was innocent enduring this for you and for me. It was the most torturous, painful way for a person to die. And the Bible describes that as a great exchange, his life for our lives. The perfect, sinless offering providing a way of escape for us. The Bible puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus suffered in silence throughout all the hours of interrogation, torture, and agony with just a few words along the way. In Isaiah 53, it says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, but he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And yet when the weight of humanity's sins was poured out upon him, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken literally means deserted or abandoned or rejected. You know, yesterday on the radio, we had a few calls about the grace of God and the goodness of God. And what do you do about a person that says they're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, but they live in such a way that doesn't reflect the fact that they say that they're saved? And I thought it was a good question, and we answered, spent quite a while answering that question. But in context of Good Friday, I'd switch that question a little bit to those of you listening, those of you that might be watching. Understanding what Jesus has done for you, why would you choose to live that way? What real gain or benefit is there for you to despise the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross in your life. What great attraction. Now, we're, we're not speaking of stumbling. We're not speaking of making a sinful mistake. We're not ta- I'm not speaking to you about the reality of, you know, we all fail because we do. But rather, I'm speaking to that lifestyle that you would choose, that direction you would choose, that, that sense of, yeah, I received Jesus Christ, I believe I'm born again, but I also believe at the same time that I can live any way that I want. Friend, if that is you, you have lost sight of the cross of Jesus Christ. You have lost sight of the reality of his sacrifice on your behalf. 
It's not a clean picture. It's not a medallion you wear on a necklace. It is the greatest, torturous, brutal way for an innocent man to die. And if you were to ask the question why, the answer would be for you. I know that when you ask the question why, you're wanting an explanation of why God would use this this difficult, horrible thing. But he would actually answer it. I believe we ask the question today, why God? God would say to you, for you. Jesus died for you. It makes no sense for us to live self-centered, self-willed lives when we look at the cross. When we try to arrange our lives for our own comfort and our own ease when we arrange our lives in such a way that we no longer see the cross, which then leads us to no longer denying ourselves, which brings us to a place of creating God in our own image. Jesus not only felt the weight of human pain and suffering to the nth degree, but he also felt the sense of separation as your sins and mine were poured upon him as the Lamb of God that takes away the... You know, for those of you that don't understand the Lamb of God... In the Old Testament, God's way of meeting with man was through the sacrifice of an animal, of a lamb. Once a year, the priest, the religious leader, once a year would literally take three animals. He would sacrifice one for his own sins, and then he would take one and sacrifice them for the sins of the people. And he would go into a place within the inner part of the tabernacle in the temple and he would spread that blood on something known as the mercy seat as an offering of forgiveness and requesting forgiveness from God once a year. It would cover the sin. They'd do that every year, every year. Every time they'd see it. The third animal, he'd come out after spreading that blood and he'd put his bloody hands on the forehead of that goat and he would send the goat off to run away. And that's where we get our phrase today, scapegoat. And as the people would watch the goat run away with the blood representing the forgiveness of their sins, they'd be reminded that as far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed our sins from us. But see, we don't do that today because God has given one sacrifice, the final fulfillment, that lamb of God that came in the person of Jesus Christ. God died himself on behalf of you and me. That's Good Friday. And so often we live without the consciousness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our lives and that's why we become so selfish and self-centered in our lives. Why we forget that life is spent serving Jesus, not serving ourselves. Why, Why we forget that God has placed us where we are for the sake of glorifying and honoring him. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are not the delusions of a man in pain. And it's not a time where his faith was failing him. I believe as Jesus was hanging there on the cross at this very moment, he was bearing the sins of the world upon himself, dying as a substitute for us. He was bearing, you know, we have to put it, personalize it for a second and say, he was bearing your sins and mine. I think not only do we lose sight of the cross, but we lose sight of our own sinfulness. We forget just how bad we are, and in some cases, just how bad we were apart from Jesus Christ. How much work 
you born-again believers here today, just how much work God has already done in your life, just how far he's brought you, just how, how much victory you enjoy, just how much sin you've laid aside, or if you were saved as a child, you know, and you gave your life early, just how much sin you have avoided and how much pain and sorrow has not come into your life because of the commitment to follow Jesus Christ. We have forgetful minds, and so it's fitting once a year at the bare minimum. You know, it, at times like on Good Friday, people ask, well, what are you gonna teach about? And I'm just like, I'm gonna come and say the same thing I do every year, and in many ways, say the same thing we say every week. Every week is a celebration of the cross of Jesus Christ and in his resurrection. Every week is a celebration of his finished work. Every week is an invitation to come to him and humble yourself. Every week is a time to say, I repent and I want a different life than I'm living right now. Every day is, is a, every week is a time to lay aside our sinfulness, to confess our sins, to lay aside our lives in humility because as Jesus is there in John 19, it says in verse 28, that Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And a vessel filled with sour wine was sitting there, and they filled it with a sponge and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth, verse 30. When Jesus received it, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. If we were to ask the question why again, Jesus would say because of your sin. Sin is so devastating, so destructive. And knowing that many of us here are born again, I just think that God wants to remind us that we've become too good at making excuses for our sin instead of being really good at humbling ourselves before a mighty, the mighty hand of God and acknowledging our weakness and our ever-increasing weakness and desperate need for God every day not just at the point of salvation. See, it was the grace of God that brought you to him. It was the grace of God that saves you, but it doesn't stop there. It's the grace of God that keeps you. And when you close your eyes and open them in the presence of Jesus Christ, it will be the grace of God that got you there. We need the grace of God and have experienced the grace of God really to the totality of our lives. His life for ours. And so as you, as you think through following Jesus with him in real time, you'd be looking at the cross from a distance and then you'd be leaving. He's, it's finished. It's, as he declares it's finished, you'd walk away. As you read in the text, not only did they all scatter, but then they also came to see from a distance and then they went home. And they went about their life they went about what was before them. They didn't at this time fully understand what was happening, what took place. They interpreted it in the lens of their own reality. They didn't understand the reality of God. They interpreted it in the lens of where they could feel and experience emotionally and physically, but they don't yet know and they don't yet come to that place. They, they have a few days to think about loss and think about the destruction of what, Je what happened with Jesus, what they're facing. And yet, on the spiritual side, when Jesus declares it's finished, he's declaring his victory over Satan, his victory over sin, 
his fulfillment of all the requirements of the law and his provision of redemption. Jesus' death on the cross was the once and for all sacrifice. It says in Romans 6, for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. And so, Father, we try to conceive and conceptualize the reality of this great loss. We try to put ourselves at the foot of the cross, or at least within eye distance, eye shot of it, to try to feel viscerally, internally, the full weight of love that you displayed to us as you were taken away and hurt so deeply. It's hard for us, God, because we live in a different culture in a different time. We live with full knowledge. And some among us have been living in a way that doesn't honor you or put you first at all. And I know it's by your love and your goodness that you're drawing men and women to yourself. And it's through your love and goodness that you are bringing people to a place of surrender today. Just even if it's a little prayer in their hearts, Lord, you hear from them. We don't often gather together for solemnness. As a matter of fact, I, I know in our services, God, you, you put a, a real move in us to be celebratory and to be excited and to uh, worship you and, and think great things. And yet at the root of it all is a really horrible thing that happened to you. So I thank you for these solemn times too, God, that would make us seriously consider where we are and where we are with you. And I would say if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that's why God would gather you here on a good Friday. And you can ask God to forgive you of your sins. You can ask him, he'll hear you. You could say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I know that I am not living a life that pleases you. And I believe you died. And I believe you rose again from the dead. And I'm surrendering my life to you today. Father, I know anyone that would come to you, you said, Jesus, you wouldn't cast them aside. And so as you're moving among us today and you're serving and speaking and reminding us, Lord, let us be better people. Let us be better in surrendering to you, honoring you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.